Emma Connors was told at her dating scan at around 13 or 14 weeks that the baby she was carrying would not survive. Another consultant, a second consultant, was brought in. She immediately, when she looked at the baby with the internal scans, could see that, you know, the, the problem was far worse. The organs were on the outside, the, the heart and the lungs weren't in the right place. She was able to say quite quickly she did not think that this baby would survive. Just a few weeks later, she and her husband were on a plane to Liverpool, flying off to terminate the pregnancy in another country. That's despite the fact that it was 2019, the year abortion legislation was introduced in Ireland. You know, it was hard enough accepting that we had to have a termination. I knew, you know, we were doing the right thing. And then to be told, oh, wait, no, we're not going to do that. You have to just sit and wait. Off you go. Best of luck. You know, just wait for the, the most horrible thing in the world to happen to you. It could happen at any moment. Emma is not alone. A new report commissioned by the HSE details the experiences of many women just like her who have been forced to travel for a termination. It shows abortion services are falling short of women's needs and are having a chilling effect on clinicians too. In this episode, we'll hear more from Emma and I'll also speak to the Irish Times social affairs correspondent Kitty Holland, who's been covering the story. I'm Connor Pope and this is In The News from the Irish Times. Today, four years on from repeal, Why are Irish women still travelling for abortions? Kitty, can you begin by maybe reminding us, what exactly does the abortion legislation that was passed in 2018 cover? It legalises abortion for the first time in Ireland and it provides abortion on request up to 12 weeks without having to explain yourself, so to speak, or have to um, give any reason. And thereafter, it gets quite restrictive. Um, You can access an abortion where your health or your life is at risk or where the fetus is unlikely to survive. And that section, which is provided for under Section 11 of the Act, is very strict. And the, the doctors will face criminal sanction if they breach this. The fetus has to definitely die before birth or within 28 days of birth. And given our advances in fetal medicine, many doctors are very reluctant to certify that a fetus would certainly die within 28 days of birth. And the report says that the legislation is problematic. And again, that's a quote for women seeking abortions at all stages of pregnancy, but says that it's particularly harrowing for those facing diagnoses of fatal fetal anomalies. What elements of the legislation make it particularly harrowing for women facing diagnoses like that? Well, as I say, it's the very high bar to which the fatality that has to reach, um, to put it that way. You know, before we had this legislation, um, women were all travelling to England for abortions. Doctors would say this is very likely a fatal fetal abnormality. And then it was over to England. Now they have to be absolutely 100% certain that the fetus will die within 28 days of birth. If they cannot be absolutely certain of that and they could be called out by a colleague having certified it, you know, they're terrified of being criminally sanctioned. If they can't be 100% certain of that, um, they, they can't certify that the woman qualifies for termination. And to reach that bar... There are layers and layers of tests that the woman will have to go through. And this can go on for six or seven weeks. 
one woman was reported in the report in the report as saying that she was really beginning to show she was going through all these tests and she had to she actually had to start avoiding going to the playgrounds with her kids to the usual shops because she was just so terrified of people coming up and saying well-meaning things like congratulations that you're pregnant so it's you know you're your your whole life would become dominated by um, just a world of stress, anxiety and heartache. It's uh, devastating. And do we have any sense as to how real the threat of criminal sanction would be? Because I, I would imagine that, you know, it obviously hasn't happened yet. But I mean, what what kind of likelihood is is it is there that a doctor might face criminal sanction in these circumstances? Well, I, I was wondering that myself, actually, you know, if they signed off that there was to be a termination, sure, we wouldn't know where the baby would have lived or not beyond 28 days. But I suppose, you know, there there's such huge research into fetal medicine. There's such knowledge now. There are so many interventions there can be to prolong the life. There's in utero surgery that can be performed. The chance or the possibility that a doctor could be called out afterwards, you know, if there's a complaint to the medical council, the notes will be rigorously looked at. So although two clinicians have to sign off, a whole multidisciplinary team will look at the case and that will include experts in fetal medicine. So you may have the obstetrician saying, you know, I'm 99.9% sure that this baby is not going to survive, but you'll have an expert in fetal medicine possibly saying, well, you know, there's research going on in Minnesota at the moment, you know. Um, so obviously there's a chilling effect on doctors and obstetricians who may want to sign off and say, look, this woman is absolutely entitled to a termination, but, you know, they're, they're not going to risk their jobs, their career and their, you know, liberty to do that. So Emma, it must have been very exciting for yourself and your partner when you found out you were pregnant because it was a very much a wanted pregnancy. Is that right? Oh, yes. Um, it was very, very much wanted. We had been trying to get pregnant for over a year. We had just bought a house and we said that, you know, as soon as we got our home, that we would we would start trying to have a family. So we were trying for well over a year and like that we were getting concerned at one stage that, you know, it wasn't happen- happening. So we even went and got fertility tested. And then luckily enough, we just, we, nat- we happened to get pregnant naturally. I suppose then at what stage in your pregnancy were you told the devastating news that your unborn baby had a fatal fetal anomaly? Um, well, really, it was from the first scan. So when we had gone in for, you know, the general technical uh, 12 week scan that most people go for, but because I was... It, it happened over the Christmas period. I was, instead of being 12 weeks, I think I was almost 14 weeks pregnant. Um, so we went in and the technician that was doing the scan saw that there there was something off or there was something not right. So she left and she went and got the consultant and um, she came in and she she looked at the scan and she could immediately see that there, there was a very serious problem. Um, and that problem was that you could see very clearly on the scan, there was like a little circle above the like outside the abdomen of the baby um, and she had said that it, that it was the baby's organs so that's obviously quite serious but without further tests and everything else they you know she couldn't give a final f- diagnosis or anything like that she said look I need to prepare myself um, that this pregnancy may pass on its own naturally um, and that I would need to go in the following week and have, you know, more scans done, more kind of, you know, high tech scans and that I may, might need to get some other tests. Maybe I might, might have had to get a needle into into my belly to get some fluid from the womb to do. I think they wanted to do um, chromosome tests. 
you know, she kind of did, did say, you know, I mean, it's if it was a case where it was just the organs on the outside of the body, you know, there were procedures and operations that they could do. And, you know, this is this is something that we could consider after the baby was born. So the following week, then we went in for the further scans and another consultant, a second consultant was brought in. But she immediately, when she looked at the baby, could see that, you know, the, the problem was far worse than they could see um, initially. Um, she was able to say quite quickly that, you know, she did not think that this baby would survive. OK. And yeah. what were you t- what were you told then by those two doctors? in terms of what would happen next? Well, it was it was just because the baby was so sick that, you know, the, the organs were on the outside, the, the heart and the lungs weren't in the right place. They couldn't see the baby's leg. They thought the baby's leg was maybe twisted back. There was just a lot of problems. But they straight up and, you know, with confidence said, you know, straight to, to myself, my partner, that uh, the baby would not survive. Okay. And they sat us down and they said, look, we could provide a termination and um, they said that they would both certify. It's okay, Baba. Here, you want a drink? I'll bribe them with some chocolate. <laughs> we've, we've all been there, yeah. Anna. Um, so they sat us down, the two of them, you know, this is the baby won't survive. We can provide a termination. They walked us through the process. They walked us through, you know, what they would do when I would come in, how things would would go ahead. And they said that, yes, no, we will. We'll sign off on this. You need the signature of two doctors because that's the law. And then that there would be a meeting. I don't know if it's like a meeting of the doctors or a meeting of whoever. And they would discuss the case and decide then. But they they didn't think that there would be any issues because it was clear that it was a fatal fetal abnormality. Okay. There was a meeting of that multidisciplinary team uh, and that yeah. came days later. And what was the outcome of that meeting? They they decided that it was not a fatal fetal abnormality, that it was a very serious uh, fetal abnormality. But they could not say for certain that, you know, it was fatal or that the baby would pass or not survive the 20, 23 or 28 days, is it? But I just think they were... You know, they didn't want to get blamed for something or, you know, I think maybe the the law was just too ambiguous. They just, you know, they couldn't say for certain within the definition of, you know, what a fatal fetal abnormality is, that that was the case. So the doctors went within a week from saying that your unborn baby would definitely not survive to saying yeah. it, was, it was a very serious fatal abnormality, but they couldn't say for sure what would happen next. And they said they weren't going to provide an abortion. That must have left you reeling uh, on multiple levels. Multiple levels. Yes, absolutely. My concern at the time was the baby. I was just worried and I was scared that the baby was in pain. And I was very conscious that every day the baby was growing. And... I just didn't want the baby to be in pain because it wasn't fair on the baby. It wouldn't be fair to bring the baby into the world if they were just going to suffer and be in pain or if they would even survive. Mm. You know, it was hard enough accepting that we had to have a termination and I had accepted that and I had made my peace with it. It was like, this is the right decision. I knew, you know, we were doing the right thing. And then to be told, oh, wait, no, you can't have um, a termination. We're not going to do that. You have to just sit and wait it out and see what happens. 
you know so essentially just telling us you're you're on your own off you go best of luck wait for the, the most horrible thing in the world to happen to you it could happen at any moment but you decided not to wait and at what point did the realization dawn that you'd have to travel overseas to get a termination and how difficult was that decision to make and how difficult were all the arrangements to make I was very, very lucky. Um, the decision to go and have the termination abroad wasn't difficult. I was doing it one way or another. And I I was starting to, to look into it. My friends were looking into it for me. Family members were looking into it for me to try and help make arrangements. And then someone from the Abortion Services Network actually reached out to me and said, we've heard about your case and that they would like to help me as much as they can. They said that they would arrange the flights, they would arrange an appointment at the clinic and they would pay for everything. Mm. So they were absolutely incredible, absolutely amazing. It took a lot of worry and stress off me because they they handled everything. They were absolutely amazing. And and you went to Liverpool and how was the treatment in Liverpool? How did you find the doctors and, and medical staff in Liverpool? Um, yeah, they were incredibly nice. We were brought in, we were given um, our own private room to to sit and wait. And they were just incredibly nice, very calm, you know, make you a cup of tea and check in on you, make sure you're okay. Nobody asked me what the story was, why was I there, or, you know, do I have any regrets? Is this really something that I want to do? It was just, hi, how are you? You're a patient, you're here for treatment. This is, you know, this is what we're going to do. And you know, that's how it should be. And that's how it was. And it was, it wasn't great now. Obviously, that's not the words to use, but no. um, it, it was comforting knowing I was being looked after. But a point to make would be that after the, the, the operation, the doctor did come in to me and say that she saw the baby and she was, you know, said, like, there's no way that that baby would have survived. She said, like, I was like, thank you. Thank you for coming in and giving me that reassurance. Then you could start the grieving process. Well, that's it, yeah. You know, it was done then. Yeah. But I could, I knew, it was just an aff- a confirmation of, you know, the, the decision that we had made, that we had made the right decision. Kitty, the HSE report doesn't just focus on pregnancies with a fatal fetal abnormality, like in the case of Emma, who we just heard from. It also identifies problems for all women seeking abortions. So what other problems did the report highlight? Well, yes. Yeah, so for women up to 12 weeks, they can access abortion, on, as we're saying, on request. Um, that is delivered by GPs. But the struggle is finding a GP that delivers the service. So 10% of our GPs are delivering the abortion service. We've um, we've about over 3,000 um, GPs in the country and there are about 400 GPs actually providing the abortion service. In some counties like Roscommon, there's just two GPs providing. Donegal, very few as well. So there's... That's the first thing, having to find a GP. And not all women know about the My Options website, which is the HSE website where you can find find out which GPs are providing. 
So they'll ring, they'll have a vague idea that they're delivered by a GP. They'll ring their local GP and they may find, or are very likely to find that the GP doesn't provide. And they may then end up having to ring six, seven, eight GPs and that excruciating phone call of explaining why they're phoning and all the judgment that they may get to that. Then when they find a GP who provides the service, they have to go and go for one appointment. And then there's a mandatory three day wait period before they can actually access the medication. And while most women in the report kind of accepted that as part of the process, they also found it quite infantilizing that they felt that they were having to delay access to treatment to please someone else. And not one woman in the report said that the three day wait made any difference to their decision. And, you know, GPs I've spoken to say that by the time women come to them, they know exactly what they want. They know what they're there for. And if they sense as a GP that there's reticence or a level of coercion, they can be the ones that says, do you want to take a breath, come back in a few days? So there's that three day wait period. Some GPs, if you're unsure of your dates, will send you off for an ultrasound scan. That could be another journey and that could be um, far away. One woman talked about having to um, drive an hour to her nearest maternity hospital for the ultrasound scan with the, with the young kids in the back of the car. So there is also a school of thought or a, a theory that um, a lot of GPs are reluctant to provide abortion care where their local hospital is not providing abortion care. And eight of the 19 maternity units are not providing abortion care. So that's an issue. And the HSE say they're addressing that and that they are trying to recruit consultants who will provide abortion care. But it is an issue where consultants say in a local regional hospital have only four obstetricians and all four of them are conscientious objectors uh, that they can't enforce them. They can't force them to provide abortion. So while no hospital is allowed to be a conscientious objector, the doctors are are permitted to be. And that's causing problems. Uh, Last year, 206 women and girls with addresses in the Republic of Ireland sought abortion care in the UK, with 50% of those cases being for fatal fetal uh, abnormalities. Is the government doing anything to address that? Because that's a relatively high number. It's 206 women who've had to travel. And is there anything that can be done to bring that number down? Well, not not the way the legislation is at the moment. And I suppose, you know, I was talking to Dr. Conlon and she says the the section of the report that deals with the women facing fatal fetal abnormality diagnoses must be read very carefully by all alarmmakers because it really isn't living up to the spirit of the repeal uh, vote. A lot of people voted yes on the grounds of compassion for those women. And I think most people would assume that that issue is sorted. It's not happening anymore. And as we can see, it very much is. So this review is happening. There will be a report to the Department of Health. Uh, no doubt there may be an Oireachtas committee or something set up to discuss it. Who knows? Kitty, it is worth acknowledging that a lot of people would have voted to repeal the Eighth Amendment because of the promise of checks that would be put in place, including a three day waiting period and including a very high bar for fatal fetal anomalies. So in a way, they would argue that if those checks are now removed, they would have voted for something that then changed profoundly after the fact. Yes, and I suppose that's the political dance that, uh, you know, legislators um, go through to get it through politically. They had to put in these restrictions. This review is part of, I suppose, looking at whether how that's working and whether that needs needs to be amended. And they would argue, I presume, that, you know, this is the ebb and flow of politics. This is 
social development or social progress and that the legislation has been found to be problematic for a significant number of women and they need to look at changing it. But yes, you're right. I, th- I think that the restrictions that are there are um, very much wanted by a lot of people and problematic for other people. And it's yes, it's down to the Minister for Health and our legislators to grasp the metal on that and decide what to do with it. I remember talking to my mother about the abortion referendum and my mother's in her 60s she grew up in a very different generation and she was saying that she wasn't going to vote yes you know that she didn't agree with abortion and I said well look ma'am I was like you're not voting for abortion say you're voting for to help women who are you know at a later stage in their pregnancy and they find out that there's something wrong with the baby or you know the mother's life is in danger you know it's not just you know, abortions are being given out or people are getting them willy-nilly. It's, like, it's it's a real issue that's affecting real women and real families and they need their help. I was like, what if it was me, ma'am? What if I was sick? What if my baby was sick? What if I needed a late-term abortion? And she said, actually, I've never even thought of it that way. And she changed her mind and she voted yes. Mm. You know? And do you think that the problem lies in the legislation that exists in Ireland, that maybe the doctors felt they had no choice but to make those decisions effectively on your behalf? Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely think, you know, there needs to be more clarity there. You know, they need to broaden maybe what it, what exactly defines a, a fatal fetal abnormality. They need to give, the doctors need to be assured and confident to make a final decision and final diagnosis you know and if there's any any kind of gray area they're gonna err err on the side of caution Mm. which you know if I was a doctor I would too you know they 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 have very big careers they're not going to jeopardize their career on a gray area they have to be able to say things for certainty like they don't want to risk persecution or prosecution I'm sure the doctors, they are all doing the best they can and they're working within the law in the best way that they can. So the, the fault doesn't lie with them. It lies with the law and the law needs to be changed. I still had to travel to another country to obtain medical care and treatment that I should have gotten at home. I voted yes. There are still people out there with the same problems that I I went through and nothing has been done to help them has the government just gone okay well you know the referendum has come in now okay bye bye that's it now let's just leave it at that they do not want they don't seem to want to go any further and with everything that's going on in America at the moment with the whole Roe v Wade thing and having the abortion you know completely flipped over is scary so it's a very important um, discussion that needs to be had and people need to be talking about it. It can't be forgotten about. It can't be swept under the carpet like in the olden days. You know, we need to talk. We need to have keep the conversation going. And if, if it means that, you know, I have to talk a little bit louder, then that's absolutely fine. I'll do that. I want, you know, more to be done to help families, to help women. That's it for today. My thanks to Kitty Holland and to Emma Connors. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Aideen Finnegan. In the News will be back on Friday. Never suffer the buffer again. 
Always stay connected with 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Whether you're streaming on the sofa, gaming in the bedroom, or swiping in the bathroom. I said swiping. You'll never be without it. Switch your home to 99.9% reliable Sky Broadband. Availability subject to location requires Sky Broadband Ultrafast. For more info, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. 99.9% reliability based on time our broadband network works across our base.